1: Here are your hosts, Mike Spring and Phil Edwards. Hello and welcome to After the Ending. I'm Mike Spring. And I'm Phil Edwards. And Phil, how's it going today?
0: Uh, not too bad. Oh, hold on Mike, sorry. Just dropped a load of matches. Oh, jeez. Right, let me just pick them up. Count um, will count them up. On. One, two, three, four, five, six... Oh, it's okay. I'll count them later. I feel like
1: uh, we we need like a name for this. When you do a fill intro, I want to be able to have like a like a stinger that goes "You've been filled." Except, except of course that that sounds like really bad porn. Sounds really terrible. But like you know, like when you say like you got punked or something like that. Like I think we need like a sound for when you go into one of those fill intros, and I have to sit here and just be like. What The hell is he doing? And then slowly it dawns on me, and I go, yeah. Oh, it's a fill intro. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of like that, though. You've been filled. As, You've as, been filled. As wrong and, and double entendre as that is, <laughs> I kind of like it.
0: Uh, well, I'm sorry. Hey, confused. you just got filled. That's it. Something like that. Hold, <laughs> hold on a minute. I've got them all up. Oh, jeez. I just dropped them again. One. <laughs> two,
1: da, 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 da. You three, got
0: filled. Four. Five. Six. I wish you knew someone, you know, who would count these a bit quicker.
1: Oh, I bet I bet you too, yeah. some. <laughs> well well Phil, if you could take a break from your counting, why don't you tell people why you're counting matches or at least what movie it's in regards to and it's yes, one of the movies oh. we're doing?
0: <laughs> you got
1: filled.
0: <laughs> Phil, 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 Phil. Oh boy. Oh jeez. Oh, yeah. Yeah, So anyway, uh, we're doing a couple of films as usual, and one of the films, if you've put the clues together, is Rain Man, and the other one is the Black Hole.
1: I'm going to skip making jokes up that combine "You Got Filled" and the Black Hole. <laughs> I'm just going to leave I, that alone for I now. I don't understand why. <laughs> This is a family show, damn it. Yes,
0: that's it. But uh, that's what we're going after the ending of. But uh, Mike, do you want to tell them what we're doing for the top 100 films in 100 weeks or 100 episodes? <laughs> or top 100 thing? films in 100 episodes?
1: Yes, yes, our 100 years of Hollywood in 100 episodes. That's uh, the we... title. you think I would have got it when we have <laughs> almost reached the end. <laughs> we are going to be doing our uh, Movies We Missed. So we finished our 100 years of Hollywood. We finished all 100 years. Now we're going to go back and visit the Movies We we missed, which is a combination of films that either we just they didn't make our list because they, they couldn't fit into our top 10 or movies that we've discovered since we did that original year. I know for a fact that a couple of mine are from from years we did early on and there are movies I've seen more recently that I loved. So now I get a chance to talk about them. So uh, this week we're doing the 1900s through the 1950s and then we're going to tackle a decade each week for the next few weeks until we get to our big episode 100.
0: Yes, well done. Nicely put. Thank you. And we'll just... Oh, jeez, dropped him again. <laughs> you got filled. <laughs> <laughs> uh, moving on. Yes, so it's going to be an interesting one, and we'll also see some new films coming up in the next few episodes as we cover all those decades.
1: Yeah, should be fun. Uh, before we get into the episode, though, I do want to just take a minute and give a shout out to uh, another podcast, a couple of guys, a uh, very popular podcast you might be familiar with. It's called The Greatest Generation. Uh, it is a Star Trek podcast podcast. By two guys who are a little bit embarrassed to host a Star Trek podcast, as they put it, um, and uh, it's really popular. It's got a lot of a lot of fans. Um, but I went uh, just a couple of nights ago to see them do a live recording of their podcast. They happen to be not too far from my neck of the woods, uh, and they're doing a whole tour around the country right now. Uh, it's their their Wrath of Khan tour. Uh, basically, it's it's kind of like a huh. <laughs> yeah, that was that was addressed. Um, it's kind of like a Mystery Science Theater three thousand take on Star Trek. It's very funny, it's a very popular show Uh, I went to see them live, they were fantastic Got a chance to talk to them, get a picture with them after the show, which I will post on our social media so you can see that. Um, and uh, But they were great. They were super nice guys. They were very funny. It was really fantastic to see them live and to see a live podcast. I think this is the first time I've seen another podcast done live. Great crowd, uh, a ton of people there. So congrats to those guys, and it was it was a lot of fun to meet them. And if you get a chance to see them on one of their live tours, I do highly recommend it. That's The Greatest Generation uh check it out if you're a star trek fan or even if you're not it's it's a lot of fun
0: excellent yeah i've listened to uh, the podcast a few times i do enjoy it and it would be good to see them live
1: yeah they were great guys it was fun to meet them so hopefully someday we'll do a live tour you and me phil and uh people will be talking about how great it was to meet us
0: yeah and that they'll be there they'll remember the time when they got filled (laughs) i
1: mean who can forget (laughs) the time that you get filled i mean i don't i don't think you can forget that
0: i'm sure we'll have t-shirts Oh, uh, with that on my face! I think that might that might that
1: might have to be our new official T-shirt. Yeah. So, so listeners, anybody out there who does you know graphic design or makes T-shirts, get on that because this is a a gold mine waiting to happen. You've been filled. You've been filled. All right, so Dear God. all right. Well, let's get it. Let's get into the films. Why don't we? Uh, why don't we start things off with the black hole, shall we, Phil?
0: Yeah, let's pump things up and let's dive into the black hole.
1: Okay, the black hole, 1979, directed by Gary Nelson, starring Maximilian Schell, Robert Forster, Yvette Mimieux, Anthony Perkins, and Ernest Borgnine, and famously released by Disney, which. Uh, which is interesting, uh, (laughs) more interesting when you get to the end of the film, which I'm going to get to. Uh, I tried to keep this short, but there's a lot to get through, so uh, bear with me.
0: Oh, yeah, and for new listeners, spoilers ahead if you haven't seen the film. Exactly.
1: All right, so the crew of the Palomino spaceship comes across the long-missing USS Cygnus near the edge of a black hole. The crew consists of Captain Dan Holland, First Officer Charles Pizer, journalist Harry Booth, ESP-sensitive scientist Dr. Kate McRae, civilian leader Dr. Alex Durant, and robot Vincent. They board the Cygnus and soon encounter Dr. Hans Reinhardt, played by Maximilian Schell, a brilliant scientist and his robots, most notably the imposing Maximilian. Reinhardt reveals that he sent his crew to Earth when they got trapped by the black hole, except for Kate's dad, who stayed on board and eventually died. But he also reveals that he's studying the black hole and plans to fly through it. They eventually find out that the robots are actually the crew, and they had been reprogrammed when they mutinied against the mad Dr. Reinhardt, and that Kate's dad had been killed for leading the mutiny. Reinhardt kills Durant and takes Kate prisoner. Captain Holland, that's Robert Forster, and robots Vincent and Bob rescue Kate. Booth, that's Ernest Borgnine, tries to escape in the Palomino, but it crashes into the Cygnus, which causes the bigger ship to start to break up. They all head to a probe ship to escape, but Reinhardt is trapped by a falling view screen, and the human-robot hybrids ensure that he can't escape, while Maximilian is ejected into the black hole. Captain Holland, Pizer, Kate, and Vincent reach the probe ship and launch, only to discover it's locked onto a flight path that takes them into the black hole. Dun-dun-dun. They appear to journey through hell. yes hell Yep. and Reinhardt and Maximilian kind of merge and stay in hell and then there's this like heaven like sequence yeah and then after that the probe ship emerges from a white hole and is last seen flying through space towards a planet near a bright star and that is the black hole
0: yeah it's one of those films where when you watch it when it gets to the end you're going everyone involved was making the film and then they got near the end and somebody obviously released LSD yeah, into somebody, the writer's room somebody. and into the studio <laughs> Someone spiked the punch, yeah. Um, Everybody's just, everybody just going, yeah, just go with it.
1: doesn't matter, yeah, just throw it in. It's, it's very odd. I remember, you know, I saw this movie as a kid, and I really, it's always stuck with me. It's a film I've always had a, a kind of special place in my heart for. Yes, it is Disney's sort of tr- attempt to answer to Star Wars, but it's a different enough film that you can enjoy it on its own merits. But I hadn't seen it in a long time, and I watched it a few years ago, and I'm, you know, going along, there's robots and spaceships and all this stuff, and then it gets to the <laughs> end, and I'm like, I'm like, did they just go to hell? Like like this yeah, is a yeah. this is a Disney movie. Like I'm pretty sure they just went to hell. Like you just don't expect that when you watch a Disney film. It's really not something you see very often. Uh,
0: yeah, and it's from what from what I remember it was quite a convincing hell as well.
1: Yeah, it's pretty intense. Yeah. And it is not um, there's not really any other way to interpret it. I mean, you could, you could interpret it different ways, I'm sure, but I, I think it's pretty clear that that's really what it's meant to be. It's definitely more of a you know, a spiritual, metaphysical thing when they go through the black hole, not a scientific thing. So yeah. uh, it's it's pretty crazy, but I do love this movie, I have to say. I, I do really enjoy it.
0: Well, I, I always like it, though, the fact that uh, Dr. Hans Reinhardt is played by Maximilian Schell, and at the end of the film, he Mac, he's in Maximilian Schell, Oh, that's right. Yeah. That's very, yeah, look at yeah. that. That's cool. I didn't think about that. Mm. It's crazy, but yeah, I, I I do like it. The effects are amazing.
1: Yeah, there's some really great effects. I mean, some of them have dated, obviously, but I find also it's not just the effects, but the designs that work yeah, really oh, well, yeah. you know. Indeed, Maximilian, yeah. the, the robot, is looks great. The ship, you know, looks I mean, the Cygnus was on my list of... Um, spaceships. When we did the, our top five movie spaceships, yeah, yeah, it was it was yeah. pretty high up for me. Um, just everything in the film looks really cool. Whoever designed it did a really great job. You
0: know. Yeah, I mean, and I, I also would have liked to have seen more about uh, the whole. You know what was going on in that year, twenty one thirty. You know, back on Earth and things like that. They could have had a whole expanded universe with this one because you're only given very brief details, you know, I mean, the fact they've got somebody who's psychic on board and things like that. Right, right. There's there's, there's so much potential. I, yeah, I it would have made it.
1: for a cool franchise if it had yeah. been successful enough. It's a shame that it wasn't, but what are you going to do?
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, at least it gives us an excuse to do an after the ending.
1: for That's it. right, that's right. Mm. Speaking of, Phil, why don't you kick us off and give us your day after.
0: Okay, well, Holland, Pies, and McRae, regain consciousness. They're all lying in beds in a small hospital room. It takes a moment... But then their memories of the events on the USS Cygnus and travelling through the black hole return. All are confused. A male doctor enters and proceeds to take their pulse and ask them various questions. Eventually he tells them that they were found in a crash site where it was thought they'd been flying in a small aircraft. Holland asks what happened to Vincent. The doctor laughs and points to his name tag. I'm Dr. Vincent Reinhardt. I'm right here. (laughs) Dr. McCray explains that Vincent was a robot. The doctor laughs again. This is 1979. Robots like that are only found in science fiction. And that's my day after. Ooh,
1: I like it. Taking them back to the 70s. Wow. All right, cool. Very cool. Didn't see that coming. Thank you. What's going on then with your day after? Okay, well, the crew debate. Do they land on the planet or do they take their chances drifting through space? There are limited supplies on the probe ship, but they also know that if they land on the planet, chances of ever getting off it again are very slim. Finally, they make the tough decision to land. Amazingly, they survive planetary entry And even more amazingly, and conveniently, they find (laughs) that the planet has a breathable atmosphere. The Star Trek effect. That's right, exactly. They set up a camp at the landing site and decide to take turns exploring in groups of two. Captain Holland and Kate team up, and Pizer and Vincent pair up. Each day they head in a different direction and hike for hours, looking for signs of any civilization or life. While they don't find any life the first several days, they do discover copious vegetation that turns out to be both edible and nutritious. While they may be alone, at least they'll be able to survive and thrive. Soon, they've converted the probe into a working camp and a home of sorts. For the first few weeks, things are pretty stable, almost peaceful. That is, until the storm hits. And that's my day after. Oh, God, always
0: oh, a storm. <laughs> that's a stamp storm. They never well, see it know, coming.
1: There's got to be conflict. Without conflict, there's no drama. And this is basic storytelling
0: 101. Oh, God, I hope they're okay with that storm. Well, we'll see, won't we? will see will not we hmm
1: Meanwhile, Phil, take us into your immediate aftermath.
0: Okay, months later, Holland, Pies, and McCrae sit in a diner. They all recall their journey to space in the Palomino, but everything else says otherwise. They all have a history here, social security numbers, and more from this time period. However, Dr. McCrae still has her ESP abilities. It all feels like a weird, horrible nightmare, and they begin to think that maybe they are all crazy. They've also started seeing a beaten-up tanker truck that seems to be following them. Driving from the diner, Holland tells the others to hold on. The truck is right behind them and eventually forces them off the road. Jumping out of the car, they run over to confront the driver of the truck, but are surprised to find, it's just a mannequin sitting in the driver's seat. A hatch on the tanker trailer opens and Vincent floats out. Quick, get in. We need to get out of here. And that's my immediate aftermath.
1: All right. I knew that there was something more going on here. Mm. I like it. Also, I appreciate your Vincent impression. Oh, thank you. <laughs> it's quite good. Well, I, know, I, think I noticed a little I think helps change helps in kind of... the timbre of your voice.
0: Yeah, I think it helps because I'm English as well. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. Nice to yes. done. Thank you. Cool. What's going on then? The storm is about to hit. Okay, well, <sighs> the
1: storm that hit the camp was like nothing they'd ever seen before. Pizer was killed when the hurricane-level winds impaled him on a tree. The entire shelter had been destroyed, and it was a miracle that Kate and Captain Holland had survived. Vincent had also been lost in the storm, blown away by the high winds. With no remaining shelter, Kate and Holland decide to set out on foot and see if they can find a more permanent living situation. They pack up what supplies they can and head off on foot into the horizon. Two days later, they see a gleam in the sand in the far-off distance. Hoping it might be civilization, they rush toward it, only to find that it's Vincent, who has miraculously survived but had been blown miles away. His motion circuits have been damaged, so he's immobilized, but Captain Holland quickly repairs him. Meanwhile, Vincent tells them some exciting news. In the distance, when he was being propelled through the air, he spotted something, a city. And that's where we're going to leave it for now.
0: Ooh, okay. I like it.
1: Thanks. All right, so that's, uh, that's that. What is your long-term? How is this all going to play out? I need to know, Phil. Okay.
0: Vincent explained that after flying through the black hole, they had crashed on the planet. It was not Earth, and initially it seemed devoid of life. However, within moments of the crashing, the entire planet had begun to transform into what they had been experiencing. The fake Earthlings on there seemed to pay close attention to the Palomino crew as if watching them. Vincent could not forget why it was Earth in 1979 and Vincent also seemed to be ignored by everyone and he'd spent all his time repairing the probe ship which was disguised as the tanker trailer. Before he had a chance to say anything else an alarm on the probe ship went off. Switching on a view screen they could see an asteroid plummeting down to this planet. It impacted in the nearby city. Vincent cut to one of the new Earth TV channels which showed a fiery crater. From out of the smoke, a large, familiar menacing figure appeared. Maximilian had returned. He seemed larger and some of his body panels now appeared to be of a strange twisted flesh-like substance and one of his arms was a thick tentacle covered in sickly green pustules. The altered robot surveyed the people before him and then attacked. Within seconds it had killed dozens of people. We need to go, said Vincent as he started powering up the probe ship. The others agreed as they watched Maximilian slowly head towards them. Moments later they were blasting up back into space to who knows where. Maximilian watched the ship launch. As it left orbit, all the humans and buildings on the planet seemed to slowly dissolve until the robot was standing on a rocky planet. The lower portion of Maximilian began to bubble and ripple, forming a strange techno-organic rocket booster. And firing it up, the mutated robot followed the probe ship into space. That's Mm. my long
1: term. Wow, cool.
0: That was awesome. Thank you very much. I like it. Yeah, and I think I can see it going to become like a weekly TV show.
1: Yeah, right, right, right. Like yeah. they're always constantly on the run from Maximilian, sort of hitting different planets and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, things like that. Maximilian keeps getting stranger and stranger. Right, right. I like it. Very good. Thank cool. you. Uh, but then, go what's going on with yours? What's what's this city they discovered? All right. Well,
1: after several days, Holland, Kate, and Vincent finally approach the city. It's gleaming white, and it's surrounded by a large wall. It's Donald Trump's America. <laughs> Sorry. Well, I didn't see that coming. Couldn't resist. It's not really. Um, Anyway, so they, they call out, but there's no reply. Finally, they manage to open a gate and they enter the city. The inside is beautiful, filled with magnificent buildings, clear waterfalls, lush vegetation, but no people or life forms of any kind. After a thorough exploration, it becomes clear. The city is deserted. They set up camp in what was once a residential building. They discover the city's food supplies and get power up and running. In short, it's pretty much a paradise, except for the fact that it's just the three of them, and they wish they had a way to return to Earth. After about a year of trying to understand the alien technology, Vincent and Holland finally make a breakthrough. Accessing the city's data archives, they find out that the storm that devastated their camp was basically just a squall. It turns out that the alien civilization had found out that there's a storm of about a 100 times the magnitude of that squall forming that will wipe out all life on the planet. Unfortunately, the data is unclear as to whether the storm has already come or not. Did it kill the inhabitants of the city, or did they evacuate in order to escape it? Vincent accesses the city's main communications array and sends a signal out into space, a mayday that they hope will reach Earth. As they wait and stare out at the horizon, Kate thinks she can just see some clouds forming in the distance. And that's the end.
0: Ooh, cliffhanger.
1: A little bit. Kind of like Ooh. yours, though, more. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, sort of leading into another, another chapter. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I like it. Thank you. Now, yeah. I have an after the credits sequence. Oh,
0: brilliance. <laughs> Hit me with it. Hit me with <laughs> All it.
1: All right. So, we uh, run credits, fade up from black. Maximilian's body floats through space for a long time. Reinhardt's mind slowly dissolves into a soup of madness trapped inside this metal hell. Many years later, Maximilian drifts into Earth's orbit and is recovered when he crashes into the remote forests of Oregon. After much study of how the robot could survive in space for so long, his parts are repurposed. In particular, a specific piece of circuitry that made up Maximilian's robot brain catch the eye of one Dr. William Weir, a scientist who is working on a new type of warp drive on a ship called the Event Horizon.
0: <laughs> oh, awesome. Fade to black. Uh that's why the ship, the Event Horizon went to hell because it had already been there. See that? Oh, I love it. Thank you. Thank you. That's that's very good.
1: You know, when I was recapping the film, I was like, boy, there's a lot of similarities in a way between the black hole and Event Horizon. I mean, completely different films in terms of aesthetic yeah, yeah. and stuff like that. But just in terms of the kind of the broad story, how you have sort of this mad scientist running this long lost spaceship and then they eventually, you know, the, you know, the, here it's going through a black hole and Event Horizon yeah, is looping yeah. through space, but they both end up going through hell. It's kind of like, boy, there. I, I wonder if maybe, you know, Paul W.S. Anderson was inspired by the black hole as a kid or something, because there are some, there was a good surface similarity. Yeah, so once definitely, I thought yeah. of that, I, I had to do something with it because I couldn't get it out of my head. But I didn't want to oh. make my whole ending just a tie-in to tie into Event Horizon.
0: No, I like that. Yeah, I yep. thought that was fun. And for fans of Event Horizon, we did go after the ending of that film back in episode 24. There you go. All the way back then.
1: It does seem to come up an awful lot on this show for some reason. guess yeah. we I think we go. Well, I don't think we go more than five or six episodes without mentioning Event Horizon at some point or another, which is funny because I'm not a huge fan of it personally. But um, it relates to
0: every film, mate. It's like the <laughs> it's like the Kevin Bacon of films.
1: Right, right. It's like the 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 shared universe. You know, it's the center of the shared yeah. universe somehow. Oh um, my God! Of all <laughs> of all films, right? <laughs> yeah.
0: Six degrees of event horizon. Right, right, exactly. Wow.
1: Well, Phil, I think it's time to take a journey
0: into the trivia hole. That also sounds dodgy.
1: It does a little bit, but I'm going to let it slide.
0: Let's go with it. Okay, this was Disney's first PG-rated
1: film. Makes sense.
0: Uh, This and Star Trek The Motion Picture were the last two Hollywood films to include an overture.
1: For our younger listeners who might not know what that is, an overture was sort of a long piece of music that would play in the theater with usually some sort of graphic on the screen just sort of saying like, you know, overture uh that would sort of like be playing as people filtered into the movie theater
0: yeah and you just always wish it was over
1: yeah 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 i i don't really remember them but i sat through one in a film class one time where the the professor wanted to run the movie with the overture to kind of get that full experience. And boy, it was it was like yeah, it just 20, 20 you know. minutes of sitting there going, okay, I'm ready for the movie
0: now. Yeah, it is mad. But also the Black Hole score was apparently the world's first digitally recorded soundtrack. Oh, that's cool. Uh, it also contains 550 visual effect shots, including over 150 matte paintings. Mm,
1: yeah, great matte paintings.
0: Oh, definitely. Yeah. And Roddy McDowell and Slim Pickens provided the voices of Vincent and Bob but they were uncredited for the film. Yeah, okay. That's the black hole.
1: All right, love it. Okay, well then let's move on then to one of the uh, bigger films of the 1980s, I think. Uh, kind of a, a late 80s film that was a big, big, big hit uh, back in the the heyday of both of the actors who starred in it. Uh, that would be, of course, Rain Man.
0: Oh, dropped him again.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you got filled. <laughs>
0: i'll pick them up later
1: i think most people have probably seen rain man but phil why don't you i know for both of us it's been a while since we've seen it so why don't you refresh people's memories take us through the events of rain man
0: yeah so rain man 1988 and i hadn't realized it was quite that old yeah it's been a while I mean, 20, 20 years old uh no 30 years old yeah 30 years <laughs> oh <old. laughs> my god yeah it's 30 years old crazy i told you i needed someone who could count
1: yeah right yeah 30 <laughs> years
0: old it is surprising and because tom cruise I know anyway, he's barely he's barely aged since then, but you can what... say some things about Scientology, but Tom Cruise does <laughs> right. look very young.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, that might also have more to do with the millions and millions of dollars in his possession rather than just the Scientology. But
0: no, no, I, I, I think it's Scientology. Oh, all right, fair enough. Other the religions are available. Right. I think um
1: but you know this was at the peak of Tom Cruise's success and Dustin Hoffman was in sort of like a I don't want to call it like a late career resurgence because he's he's still a popular actor and he has been since the 60s but I think in the 80s he had kind of had a string of box office hits
0: yeah, yeah. that
1: had kind of made him you know I I think very visible in the public eye so between Tom Cruise and Dustin Hoffman I mean the two of them together that was it's a lot of star power and a lot of nose
0: most definitely yeah
1: like like you know nose on your face not nose like no because yeah. they both they both have pretty prominent schnozzes
0: they certainly do yeah
1: sorry anyway <laughs>
0: uh, like, you know just
1: i realized as i was thinking of the two of them together i'm like that yeah. that's a profile you know when you you've see the two of them mi- you've been mic'd and- <laughs>
0: doesn't have the same effect
1: <laughs> anyway Uh, But, Phil, why don't you give us the recap?
0: Okay, Charlie Babbitt, played by Tom Cruise, is trying to sort out some money to cover a loan he took out uh, because he was getting some cars and then passing them on to somebody else. Uh, But he learns that his estranged father has died. So Charlie and his girlfriend Susanna travel to Cincinnati to listen to the reading of the will. Charlie finds out he's getting the 1949 Buick Roadmaster that his father had and he had a falling out with many years ago. But the $3 million estate is going to an unnamed trustee at a mental institution. Charlie learns that his older brother, Raymond Babbitt, is staying at this mental institution and it turns out Raymond has Savant Syndrome which gives him amazing recall but he shows little emotion. Charlie goes to visit Raymond and ends up taking him from the mental institution and they stay in a hotel for the night. Susanna doesn't like what Charlie is doing and leaves. Charlie decides to try and get custody of Raymond so he can get control of the money. He's not really thinking about his brother, he just wants the money. They end up going on a road trip back to LA. Show
1: me the money!
0: Sorry, couldn't resist. Yes. Crossover.
1: <laughs> the Tom Cruise uh, shared universe is alive and well.
0: Oh, most definitely, yeah. Uh, so they drive go on a road trip back to L.A., and Charlie ends up realizing that Raymond lived with them when Charlie was younger, and that his imaginary friend, who he called Rain Man, was actually Raymond. Uh, they end up going to Las Vegas, and thanks to Raymond's abilities to count, went enough money for Charlie to cover his debts. He also ends up making up with Susanna. Charlie Realizes, you know, he's actually got a heart, and he no longer wants to use Raymond to get the money. He's just happy to have him as a brother. He takes him back to the mental institution and promises Raymond he will visit in two weeks, and that's Rainman. Very nicely done. Yeah, it's a good film. You. Do you? I assume you like this film. Yeah, I do like it. Yeah, I think it's. I
1: think it's good. It was a. You know, it was. It was. I think sort of the start of Tom Cruise's kind of more dramatic career in a way
0: yeah yeah
1: Um, I mean he still plays the cocky young guy who's good at what he does gets the girl at the end which was sort of his stock and trade for the first you know 10 years of his career but this was really kind of I think the first film where he wasn't just sort of playing where you know he sort of had to have a bit of a more of a character arc and kind of take a more dramatic turn I mean it's a funny film but it is also a drama and I, I think this was sort of his take to get his his attempt to sort of get out of sort of just being like a teen idol, you know, in that sort of Top Gun cocktail type of thing and move into more serious filmmaking. I mean, I, I, you know, I think if you look at his back at his filmography, this sort of is where that shift started, you know?
0: Yeah, I think you're right, because, I mean, his character isn't that likable to begin with as well.
1: Right, right.
0: Whereas most of the other characters have sort of been... For all the faults have always been, you have you've sort of liked them from the beginning.
1: Right. Well, they're just charming kind of rogue, you know. Yeah, yeah. They're more, you know, guys who ooze charm. But this is definitely his most flawed character, I think, up to that point, you know. Yeah. And yeah, it wasn't so. a movie just about getting the girl, which so much of his earlier stuff had been about. Yeah, yeah. But that's just my take.
0: No, I think you're right. But uh, that was uh, what happened in the film. Mike, do you want to take my breath away and give us the day after? For <laughs> Different film, but OK. Yeah. Uh, well, Charlie remains
1: true to his word and comes to visit Raymond two weeks later. They spend the day together and Charlie tells Raymond that Susanna has left him. He understands, though, as he knows that he hasn't always been the nicest person and he feels like they broke up on good terms. Charlie promises Raymond that he'll be back every two weeks to visit. He'd like to come more often, but he's used the meager amount of money he had left over from their adventures in Las Vegas to start a new business, a legitimate car import business that he hopes to build into a thriving success. He's no longer going to take shortcuts or deal with shady suppliers. He wants to run this one above board so he can provide for himself and Raymond without having to worry. Raymond gives his usual Raymond-like approval, and Charlie finally leaves. A few months later, Charlie shows up for his regular bi weekly visit, having not missed a single one, but this time... Something's wrong. Raymond is gone. And that's where we're going to leave it. Oh, jeez. Oh, (laughs) jeez. Oh, boy. Mm. Uh, Meanwhile, though, what's going on in your day after?
0: Okay, yes, and mine. Charlie pays off his debts and looks to trying to be more careful in his business dealings. Getting the Buick Roadmaster and going on the road trip with his brother gives him the idea to travel around the US looking for old classic cars to sell. There would be no import duties, and he could either sell them as he finds them or get someone to restore them. He talks it over with Susanna... And they both see the potential. Charlie then spends the next two weeks making many phone calls and visiting various car auctions. And that's my day after.
1: All right. I like it. Thank you. So we, we both sort of went into this direction of him having like a, a car business still, which I yes, like. Yes, yes. And he's focusing on his business.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay. What's going on then with yours, Wes? Raymond, what's going on?
1: Okay. Well, Charlie is panicked. Raymond was removed from the hospital by men who claimed they were there on Charlie's behalf and they had legitimate looking paperwork to prove it. It's not the hospital's fault, but Charlie is despondent. As he's driving home, lost in thought, Charlie is run off the road by two vans. When he stops, he gets out of his car to find a large number of men surrounding him, and one of them is holding Raymond by the arm. It turns out that one of the cars Charlie had sold previously had been a counterfeit, and this man, a notorious mob boss, feels like Charlie owes him $200,000. Charlie manages to convince the mobster, a guy named Sal Del Vecchio, that he needs Raymond to get the money. And Sal hands him over, confidently telling Charlie that he can get to Raymond whenever he wants. Then the men leave, giving Charlie a deadline. Have the money in 48 hours or else. And that's the uh, immediate aftermath.
0: Charlie, Charlie, Charlie.
1: I know, right? Mm.
0: Uh,
1: if only this was charismatic, gets-the-girl Tom Cruise and not flawed, kind of jerky Tom Cruise, he wouldn't be in this situation
0: oh dear me anyway oh. alright well let's hear what's going on in your immediate aftermath ok well Charlie as promised goes to see his brother after the two weeks he talks about his plans for buying the classic cars and going legit Raymond then starts reeling off facts and figures about classic American cars and once again Charlie is astounded Charlie's there for hours he ends up doing most of the talking and sometimes they just sit in silence or watch some of Raymond's shows in their own way both brothers enjoy spending time together Charlie promises to return every week but he also tells Raymond he has an idea and that's my immediate aftermath. Hmm.
1: Okay. Well, we'll see if this is a good idea or a bad idea. Mm. This is flawed Tom Cruise, so it might be yeah, a bad idea.
0: Could go either way. Okay, Mike, what's going on with yours then with these, uh, these mob guys? How's he going to get out of this?
1: All right. Well, Charlie doesn't want to use Raymond again to count cards the way he did last time. He's trying to turn over a new leaf, but he also doesn't want to take a chance on Raymond getting hurt. With no other options, he and Raymond head to Las Vegas to count some cards. 48 hours later, Charlie and Raymond are standing inside a junkyard on the outskirts of Las Vegas. Charlie hands Sal Del Vecchio a bag full of money. Sal looks inside, nods, and Raymond and Charlie leave. As soon as they pull out, a swarm of cars rush into the junkyard. The next morning, after Charlie has dropped Raymond back off at the group home, Charlie receives a phone call. It's another mob boss named Anthony Bastolo. Your efforts were very much appreciated, Mr. Babbitt. I've been trying to remove the Delvecchio thorn from my side for years, and I couldn't have asked for a more perfect setup. I can assure you that your brother and you are now perfectly safe from any mob interests. Our books are balanced, your name is clear. Good luck with your future endeavors. Satisfied that Raymond is safe and his troubles are over, Charlie heads to work and arrives at his new small office. He smiles widely as he unlocks the door, reading the gold lettering emblazoned on the plate glass window. Rain Man Motor Imports, Inc., (laughs) <laughs> today is going to be a good day. And that's the end. Very nice. I like that. I thought that they deserved a fresh start and a happy ending. So Yeah, very you good. Know. Thanks. All right, well, I want to hear about their idea, Charlie's
0: idea, so take us into your long term. Okay. Charlie spoke to Dr. Bruner at the mental institution about his new business plan and how it had been inspired by his trip with Raymond. Dr. Bruner mentioned how Raymond often spoke of the road trip. That was exactly what Charlie wanted to hear. He asked if, once a month or so, he could take Raymond on a road trip while they were looking for new cars or just travel together. Initially skeptical, Dr. Bruner eventually agreed. He could see the benefits for Raymond. Charlie's business improved and brought in regular money. Charlie and Raymond had many more road trips together, and Raymond was also Charlie's best man at a small wedding when Charlie married Susanna. Although they only had a few more years together until Raymond passed away, both brothers found happiness in their time together, and Charlie's eulogy brought the congregation to tears.
1: You're bringing me to tears, Phil. I'm getting all emotional here. There you go. Nicely done. Thank you very much. I like it bittersweet, but I think yeah. very, very fitting, and and fits the movie well. I could see how you know Raymond might yeah pass away. He was not a spring chicken, but uh, nicely done. I like it. Thank you very much. Look at you, you old softy. I know. I just, <laughs> it just
0: as you said, it seemed to fit. It does absolutely. And it's their time, even though they only knew each other properly for like a f- few years. I think it, uh, it would change. It did change in both.
1: Absolutely, it's more about the quality of the time than the quantity of the time. Yes, definitely. All right. Well, very nicely done. Uh, why don't you see if you have any Rain Man trivia for us?
0: Yeah, okay. Well, currently, 2018, Qantas has never lost a jet plane.
1: Oh, still. <laughs> That's a, obviously a famous scene from the movie where Raymond yeah. talks about Qantas Airlines. That's cool.
0: Hey, during filming, Dustin Hoffman felt that it was the worst work of his life, and he asked director Barry Levinson to get someone else because he thought he was ruining the film. <laughs> Hoffman ended up winning his second best actor Oscar for this, his yeah. work in the film. That's funny. It was Hans Zimmer's first score for a Hollywood production. Oh, wow. Uh, Barry Levinson instructed Zimmer to avoid using strings in the score as he felt it would make the film too sentimental. And the script was originally written with Randy and Dennis Quaid in mind. Wow, neat. Yes, and that's uh, Rain Man.
1: All right, very cool. Well, there you go. That is Rain Man and the Black Hole. And uh, now it's time to move on to our 100 years of Hollywood in 100 episodes, wherein usually we take a year from the past century of Hollywood. Uh, but this week we are taking uh, several decades, actually, and talking about the movies we missed. These are films we've either discovered since we originally did the year they appeared in or films that didn't make it onto our lists the first time we did uh, said year. So this time around we are doing anything from the 1900s to the 19. Fifties. Uh, I don't know about you, Phil. Almost all of my films came from the forties and fifties, with a couple from the thirties thrown in for good measure. But I didn't get anything uh earlier than that.
0: Uh, I think I've got a couple from the twenties. Oh, look at you! All right. I think. i think. Well,
1: good then. This is a wide-ranging list.
0: Yeah. The, the, the main thing I was when I was doing this. I mean, some of them I was going. I'm sure I've included this on other lists, but I went back and listened to them all, looked on through the previous lists, and they weren't so. I think it's just because we've spoken about... Uh, maybe yeah. you included them on your list or something like that, and it's just, yes. just come that way.
1: I did find it tricky to kind of go back. and There was definitely some movies, like there was a handful that I've watched recently and I knew I'd never seen before, but there was definitely yeah. some yeah. when I was going through it going well, that had to make my list or did it make my list? Or why do I feel like this one didn't make my list? And there was definitely some kind of juggling and rechecking and checking and rechecking, you know, just to make sure I hadn't talked about them. Um, But I think we're in in pretty good shape.
0: But uh, for regular listeners, apologies if you do recall some of these being on the list. But as far as I'm aware... Right. Well, they could
1: have, like you said, they could have appeared on the other person's list. Uh, Also, they could have appeared in one of our top five episodes, um, which I'm sure will happen more as we get into the more recent decades as well. Um, You might hear some movies that weren't in in an official top 10 list, but maybe showed up in a top five list somewhere. Um, But we will try and avoid as much overlap as we can.
0: Yeah. And uh, it's just the problem is we've just got so much content. That's what it is. Yes. Yes. And And that's that's a nice that's a nice problem to have.
1: It is indeed. All right, well, now that you've got the gist of it, Phil, why don't you go ahead and kick things off with your number 10?
0: Yes, my number 10 is from 1929, and it is Pandora's Box, the German silent movie starring the sublime Louise Brooks, who is just such an iconic look, the, the black bob kind of thing going on. Uh, great film, all about the name Mark an Amoral Woman, There's Murder, Trials, Jack the Ripper, all that sort of kind of things going on. You've probably seen many, many nods to this film and other like TV shows and other films because it's, uh, it's, it's iconic. Classic, it's iconic. It's one of those ones where you've, it's always included on lists and things, but it's my number 10.
1: Very good. All right. Well, I, I should point out there was one film that could have made it on here from 1918 uh, and it's on my 100 essential movies poster. It's D.W. Griffith's *Intolerance*, which is a very famous and critically acclaimed film, which I watched recently. Um, and it's a silent movie, but I really didn't like it very much. I have to be honest with you. And I didn't, yeah, I couldn't yeah. fit it on my list just because I, it wasn't good enough to displace any of these movies that I have. So um, yeah, that would have been my one silent uh, film. But anyway. My number 10 is The Breaking Point from 1950, directed by Michael Curtiz, who also brought us, of course, the great Casablanca. It stars John Garfield as a a boat captain who gets into trouble with some criminals, uh, and sort of gets taken and ends up on the wrong side of the law. It's sort of a film noir. Um, great film. It's not It's not the best film on the list, obviously, since it's my number 10. Um, yeah. But it's a good, solid kind of intrigue film. Uh, I had never really seen much with John Garfield in it. I thought he was quite good in it. Uh, and I really liked the ending of it. So it's called The Breaking Point. And of course, Michael Curtiz, uh, I, as I'm learning over some of these, his name may pop up again, because I'm learning that not only did he make my favorite film of all time, Casablanca, he made several other great films as well
0: excellent okay good pick okay my number nine is m the letter m mm-hmm. uh, which is from 1931 another german film this one's directed by Fritz lang who you know did a few films and it stars peter laurie we followed peter laurie's character m who's a serial killer uh, and he kills children uh, and, it's, and the manhunt around him and it's the it's basically the police and also the criminal underworld are after him because he kills kids, so nobody likes him. Uh and so we're following we're following M and also the police and the the criminals that go around and it's tense and everything. And I mean you you, you want him to be caught, but then you it still builds up tension as he's gonna get caught or isn't he? And is he gonna kill somebody else and all this kind of stuff. Great film. Uh still holds up very well. Peter Laurie has always had that kind of creepy creepiness about him. Uh great camera work, all that kind of stuff, but great performances and it's uh, it's it's due to the subject matter. It could be a hard watch, but it's a, it is a it's a classic film. Very good.
1: I have not seen that one. I'm very familiar with it in terms. You know, I've read about it. I know it's uh, it's a a well loved film, a well respected film, but still haven't gotten around to
0: it. Yeah, it's one. I mean, I'd not seen it. I only saw it. I think uh, near the end of last year. So right. So there very we go. good.
1: All right. Well, my number nine is going to be a surprise, but it's going to be a surprise because it wasn't in my pre on my previous list it is 1959's sleeping beauty from disney uh, as we know, Disney movies almost always make my list, but yes. this was one of our sort of catch-up. Uh, you know, we did like multiple years from the 50s all at once, and so yeah, Sleeping Beauty yeah. did not make the cut. To be fair, it's one of I think it's one of my least favorite Disney films, but it, that doesn't mean I don't like it. It just means that if I had to rank all the Disney films, I would put it towards the bottom. I do still enjoy it. I think it has some really great visuals, some really great design sense, but it's not one of my favorite Disney films. But I do like it, so it didn't make my list previously. This time around, it does make the list coming in. Still comes in only at number nine,
0: but at least it made it on here. Yeah, I know what you mean about Sleeping Beauty. That's the one with the dragon at the end, isn't it? Yes, which is super cool. Yeah, I love the design of the dragon and that, that last bit, but it's, yeah, it's a weird one. Yeah. I always I always forget about it.
1: Right. It makes sense because they were going through all the classic fairy tales at that point. Yeah. You know, Cinderella, Snow White, all that. But it just isn't the most compelling. I mean, just the, the nature of it, Sleeping Beauty, your main character is... Yeah, sleeping yeah. a lot of the time. So,
0: but Enchanted, that one with Amy Adams, is basically it's the same. Susan Sarandon's character is basically the stevie witch from that, isn't she? Yeah,
1: yeah. Enchanted okay. is great. I love that movie. Yeah.
0: Okay, my number eight is Ingmar Bergman's uh, 1957 film, The Seventh Seal. Mm, right. So a Swedish historical fantasy, as it were, uh, set in Denmark during the Black Death, and we follow a medieval knight played by Max von Sydow, and he has a he stops off for a game of chess with a death. Played by Bengt Ekarrat, that's how you pronounce it. Yeah. We follow the knight as he's uh, as he travels through Middle Earth, and he keeps meeting up with the uh, death, he meets other people who do terrible things to, to other people, and he keeps keeps playing the game of chess. Talks, it's all talking about you know death and life and things like that. It looks amazing. I mean, we, and many of you will have seen Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey and the mm-hmm. death and that. You know, you sunk my battleship because they're playing all the games is directly from the Seventh Seal, but it's a This is a true classic, and it is worth. If you sort of, if you sort of been, you know, if the thought of putting watching a Swedish historical fantasy drama put you off, it's worth watching because it is amazing. Right, and as Max von Sydow is always brilliant to watch. Indeed, he is. And that's my number eight. Good choice. Still
1: a film I haven't gotten to yet and that I want to. Yeah, yeah. My number eight is probably the most politically incorrect movie on my list. It is from 1956, and it is called The Tea House of the August Moon. Uh, It stars Glenn Ford, who I love, and uh, Marlon Brando playing a Japanese man. I don't think I've heard of this film. See, it's, it's one of those weird movies. It's like, it's this classic Hollywood film. It's in color. And I saw it when I was a kid. And for a long time, it was one of my favorite movies because it's just really kind of quirky. It's sort of a comedy. And it's about yeah. this American soldier who comes to Japan after World War II to build a school, but the locals don't want a school. They want a tea house. Uh, okay. It's not heavy drama. And Marlon Brando plays a Japanese guy, which obviously isn't oh boy. A- as politically correct as it could get.
0: But Nowadays, they get Scarlett Johansson to play that guy. <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> I um I thought this was like a really famous movie because I I'd, I'd seen it as a kid and and I watched it, I loved it, and I think I saw it a couple times, it was on TV, and it turns out that not as many people know it as I grew up thinking knew it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But if it, I'm not making any apologies or excuses for Marlon Brando playing a Japanese guy. I can't control what happened 60 years ago, but I like this movie. It's a lot of fun. It's a bit of a nostalgia pick. It was a favorite when I was a kid. Admittedly, I haven't seen it in a long time, but I, I recall it being very enjoyable, so maybe worth tracking down, if for nothing else than to see Marlon Brando... Uh, <laughs> as, as a japanese citizen so there yeah. you go that is uh number eight it's called tea house of the august moon i am
0: intrigued yeah it's a fun film okay it's always good though finding out about films you've never heard of before that's right okay my my number seven is uh from 1943 and it's a romantic drama stroke war film it's by michael powell and americ pressberg who did the wonderful uh it's a matter of life and death this one though is the life and death of Colonel Blimp which stars uh, Roger Livesey as the uh, titular Colonel Blimp. It also stars Deborah Kerr and he plays a, f- a few different characters but we basically follow uh, we follow this character through the various the Boer War, First World War, the Second World War and we follow him through his life and it's just through the different wars it's just it's just like a character piece but also it's uh, commenting on war and things like that but it's Paul and Prasperger so it looks it's sumptuous loads of extras loads of great sets uh, some some really good war scenes as well, things like that. But it's uh, it's it's a great film, just to show show how one person can show how one person can be affected by war, and how also how little they can be affected by it. It's uh, it's it's a good one, good character piece, and worth checking out.
1: Very cool. I've heard of it, but I, I have not seen it. Yeah.
0: So. All right. My number seven
1: is from nineteen thirty eight. So I did get, I did reach back into the thirties as promised. Yeah. Uh, it is Bringing Up Baby, starring Katharine Hepburn and Cary Grant, and a leopard. Uh, and this was one that's a pretty famous and well liked film. It just got eked out again. I think it was one of our compilation years. So yeah, I yeah. was doing a bunch of the 30s and it just didn't, it just got edged out because there were uh, some other really great films in that time. So it didn't make my list the first time around, uh, but it makes it this time. It's kind of a screwball comedy. It's a fun film. It's got a great scene with a dinosaur skeleton. And uh, that's
0: Bringing Up Baby, number seven. A good film. Uh, okay, my number six is Singing in the Rain from 1952 very good uh gene kelly debbie reynolds uh, and i mean I, i'm not often i don't often have a musical in there but singing in the rain is a classic some great scenes uh some great dance moments some some hell some really good gymnastics but also the whole thing the fact that it's wrapped around with cinema changing from silent to the talkies and things like that which is good but on the whole singing in the rain is a glorious musical and mike As you've not seen it, you need to see it.
1: I really want to. It's not a film that I've avoided because I don't want to watch it. I just haven't gotten around to it for some reason. I keep meaning to. So I I, I really do. When I do watch it, we'll do a special update episode where I'm like, okay, it's on my list now. It's officially made a list. (laughs)
0: Cool. Okay, good.
1: All right, Very good choice. Uh, my number six is a film that was on your list last week when we did sort of our cleanup of the 50s. Um, yeah. I didn't make my list then, but I, did, I do love it and I want to include it. It is from 1950 and it is Harvey starring James Stewart oh, yeah, uh, yeah. and his imaginary or possibly imaginary giant rabbit friend. Uh, you talked about it last week at length, so I'll keep it brief. I love James Stewart. I always have. This is another one from my childhood that I loved as a kid, and and I still enjoy it. It just got eked out last week, so I'm I'm glad I was able to fit it in this week. No,
0: an excellent film, man. I do. I must watch that again. Okay, my number five. I think this was on. This must have been on a list of yours at some point, or maybe it's been made a few times. So that probably has. But this one's "The Lady Vanishes" from 1938. Yes, uh, directed by Alfred Hitchcock. That was on my list because I, I do love that movie very yeah, much. I thought, actually, But yeah, so. uh, stars Margaret Lockwood, Michael Redgrave, and the story: a woman talks to an old lady. On a train, and then she disappears, and everybody seems to, doesn't remember her, the old Mm deny having met her. So good. And so the murder mystery unfolds, great performances. It's on a train, it's always good. So it's like an enclosed space. Where'd she go? Oh no, and it's Alfred Hitchcock. Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, 1938. The Lady Vanishes is my number five. Very good choice.
1: Our, oh, my number five, ironically, is, a, is also Alfred Hitchcock, although it's a different Alfred Hitchcock film. It is from 1946, and it is Notorious, starring Cary Grant, Ingrid Bergman, and Claude Rains. And it's about a oh, woman uh, who is asked by her ex-lover, who is a secret agent-type guy, to spy on her husband and his friends who may be Nazis. Um, didn't make my list originally. Again, I think it was during one of those compilations years uh, because it's not my favorite Hitchcock film it's it's a yeah, good same one here. Yeah. you know it's a solid film it's not one of his that that makes you go oh man this is you know this is a nail biter it's a little bit slower but I do like it and just with a cast like that I mean Cary Grant Ingrid Bergman and Claude Rains I mean that's a, a real that's a real holy trinity of great actors so I do like it got eked out the first time happy to put it on my list
0: this time it's notorious okay yes it's uh yeah it's not yeah it's funny there was a couple of Hitchcock films which sort of, when I watch them, I go, yeah, it's, it's, I enjoy it. But then I go, it just doesn't quite, almost like it was made by somebody else. I don't know what right. it is. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, that he was an amazing director. He made some of the world's best films. But as anybody else with a long career goes, there were ups and downs. And some of his films were absolutely brilliant.
0: And some of them were just pretty
1: good, you know. And this yeah, is one of yeah. the pretty good ones.
0: That's an excellent point. Yeah, my number four is from 1950, uh, purely because I couldn't fit it on previous list, this one's uh, another one by Akira Kurosawa, who I do like it's uh, Rashomon Mm, right? which is a great film, it all boils down to a samurai is murdered and we have a number of different people telling their story of what they witnessed and uh, as it is when people tell stories, it all slightly changes and it's all about what is the truth, what isn't the truth and how do people's opinions and life change uh, what they saw or how they express themselves it's a great film great cast shira mafrouni machiko koyo and uh, lots of others Takeshi, takashi takashi shimura lots of other great people it just looks stunning as well it's a mystery wrapped up in who's telling the truth who's lying or who's just a bit confused things like that but it's again there's been many other films and tv shows and books which have followed this this was itself is based on the sh- a short story but it's it's just fascinating and brilliant all at the same time
1: yeah. It's funny. It didn't make my list originally, and I had looked at it. It's on my short list for this, and it still didn't make the cut <laughs> for me. <laughs> uh, you know, this is one of those movies that I really can appreciate the impact of it and, and uh, how ingenious the structuring of it was and how it's been so influential in other films. But if I'm being honest, I don't love it. Like the the watching experience of it for me isn't... That great. I I can appreciate it, but it's just not a film I enjoy all that much. Yeah, yeah. A lot of respect, just not not a personal favorite. That's fair enough. All right. So my number four is from 1952. It is a film noir called Angel Face, and it stars Robert Mitchum and Gene Simmons, and it was directed by Otto Preminger. Um, and it's just your basic kind of like regular guy gets taken in by this femme fatale and ends up over his head and you know making bad decisions and stuff like (laughs) that Uh, but it was one of the first film noir films that I remember seeing i had taken actually a class on film noir in college and this was one of the films we watched and I really enjoyed it and it just didn't make my list the first time around Uh, but I like it quite a bit and I kind of regretted leaving it off my list so I'm glad I got to squeeze it in here Uh, and it makes it
0: pretty high because it's a good film it's number four Angel Face. Excellent I don't think I've seen That one
1: yeah it's worth tracking down
0: yeah okay cool okay Mine number three again it didn't make a previous list it's from 1950 and it's sunset boulevard directed and co-written by billy wilder starring uh, william holden and the Glo- and gloria swanson uh i do love this film good film noir and i remember seeing it as a kid around my grandparents and it just because it starts off with a guy well a dead body floating in a swimming pool And then it's somebody narrating it and within seconds you find out that the person narrating it is the dead guy. And I remember watching it going, what? (laughs) What? Right. I'm just going, couldn't figure that out at all. And then just getting carried along in this, in this film, which includes, you know, it's all about the film business and, and actors and actresses. It includes loads of silent film stars like Buster Keaton and other people. And it's just amazing, amazing story with amazing performances and if you haven't seen it, do yourself a favor, go watch it. Very
1: cool. I, I have not seen it, actually, and it's another do one. Do yourself really... a favor, go watch <laughs> it. You've just been filled. <laughs> I will, because I, I've really wanted to see it for a long time, um, and I just haven't gotten around to it, so uh, I will definitely track that down. All right, well, my number three, we're getting to my top three, which I'm the most excited about. These are all three films that I've discovered in the past few months, so they are exciting for me because not only were they not on my previous lists, but they weren't on the previous list because I hadn't seen them, and so not only... Are they new to me, but they were so good, all three of them, that they made my top three films
0: wow awesome
1: so my number three is from 1945 it is directed by Michael Curtiz as I mentioned earlier and it is Mildred Pierce starring Joan Crawford oh
0: yeah
1: yeah yeah a fairly well known film but I had never seen it it's about a woman uh, it basically it starts off with this woman and it looks like she's murdering her husband and then we flash back to her basically raising her two kids one of them who's an extremely spoiled and ungrateful and and she, this woman Mildred Pierce works herself up to the success but her daughter just wants more money and more money she's kind of a gold digger and it just sort of follows her life and her daughter's life and how things go sour between them and that ultimately culminates in this murder. And um, it's just fantastic. It really Joan Crawford's performance is amazing. Um, and it's it's really interesting. For a film that starts as a kind of a mystery, it mostly plays out more of as a drama, but that's not a bad thing. Like it's it's really yeah, engaging yeah. and you just watch it's one of those classic films that that goes against what a lot of people think of classic films, you know, and, and and I'll agree, a lot of old classic Hollywood era films can be slow and, and boring. Um they can be. I mean, just you know, for every good one, there's a bad one. It's as simple as that. Yeah. Uh, but, but Mildred Pierce is not like that at all. It is just engaging and exciting and interesting from start to finish. And it has a really great ending that I won't spoil here, but um, just terrific film. Another one by Michael Curtiz, who I'm learning has just really made some great films. So it's cool. Mildred Pierce from 1945. An excellent choice.
0: Okay. And my number two is uh, from 1946. It's another film noir. I'm, I'm sure I would have included it on a list at a time, but I obviously didn't because I couldn't find it, but it's uh, The Big Sleep. By Howard Hawke starring somebody called Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall. (laughs) Uh, so it's a detective story with hard boiled detective story. I'd try and explain the plot to you, but it's one of those ones where you go, Right, right. Yeah. But it doesn't matter because it's so good. Right. Uh, You just you just pulled along with with Humphrey Bogart trying to you know get to the bottom of it, talking to different people, slapping people, drinking, boozing, and you got you got Lauren Bacall smoldering am being cool. Ah, oh, just so good. <laughs> so good. And I've watched it many times and it's, The plot does escape me now and again, but it's it's a brilliant film.
1: Very good. You know, I always approve of Humphrey Bogart showing up on your list. I know. No arguments here. Very good. All right. Well, my number two is from 1946, and it is a movie called Gilda, starring the luminescent Rita Hayworth. Yes, yes. uh, And as well as Glenn Ford, who makes his second appearance on my list, also in (laughs) Tea House of the August Moon. And it is directed by the great Charles King Vidor. Uh, This is a movie I had never seen before until, again, a few months ago. There was a Criterion Collection release a few years back that I've had in my collection. I finally got around to watching it. And um, it's about a a sort of like uh, a guy who gets hired to work at a casino and finds out that his ex-lover is now married to the casino owner who's up to some shady dealings Uh, and I watched this movie and I've seen some Rita Hayworth films I think when I was young but honestly it had been a really long time since I had seen a movie with her in it and as I sat there watching this movie I fell in love with her and I was like well no wonder she was one of the biggest stars in the world she is luminescent and magical and invigorating and just like you watch her and you cannot take your eyes off of her there's a lot of movie stars in the world there are very few people who are when they're on screen you literally can't take your eyes off of them and she was one of them in this movie it is utterly fantastic it's kind of a film noir kind of a drama um but just absolutely brilliant and she is magical uh, so it's called Gilda from 1946 and i highly recommend watching it it's really fantastic
0: yeah that's one of those films i'm sure i've seen it but i can't remember it and but i know there's always the bit where she like turns around doesn't she that's the bit you oh, saw in yeah. the Shawshank Redemption as well.
1: Yeah, I totally but get I, it. I totally get it now. I totally get Oh yeah, the whole she is she's like just, yeah. I've seen pictures of her and you're like, "Oh yeah, she's obviously very pretty and this and that." And then you watch her in a movie, especially one like this where they really play up her her sensuality and you're just like oh my god like <laughs> like yes i get it is, it. it is I crazy it. We,
0: we just we don't really get movie stars like that anymore
1: and i mean they're still around there you know it's it's just it's few and far between i think yeah. you know and even back then though i mean there's a lot of other actresses from that time period like you know that we've talked about on this list so far katherine hepburn and joan crawford and people like that but i none of them had that effect on me like watching rita hayworth
0: did yeah because it's like i mean there's act you have actors and then you have movie stars and right. There is there is a bit of a difference. Yep. An excellent choice. Okay, but my number one then yes, is let's hear it. it's from 1943. It's directed by Alfred Hitchcock, and it is Shadow of a Doubt. Ah, oh, very good. Yeah, starring Teresa Wright and Joseph Cotton. And Joseph Cotton, you'll know from Citizen Kane and The Third Man. But this one, we it's all about a bored teenager, teenage girl, and she finds out that her her uncle is coming to visit, and he, he's called Charles, and she's called Charlie. So they have this thing, uh, and her uncle comes along and he, she gets on great with him. She hasn't seen him for a long time. Um, but as it progresses, things are a bit odd. And then she begins to realise that maybe there's a chance he could be a killer.
1: Mm-hmm. It sounds about uh, But right. it's
0: great how it goes on because the way it's done, you're just going, well, is he, isn't he? is he? And then you see stuff and then, oh, it's just, and attention builds and builds. And you go, "And he, I don't want him to be a bad guy. Mm-hmm. And then he, he, oh, yeah, it's, it's excellent great performances all around and it's Hitchcock so he just a master of cranking up the tension and it's just it's brilliant excellent really really good film
1: well you know I love me some Hitchcock so I approve that as a good choice for number one
0: yes I thought you might but what going on Mike what's your number one
1: all right well it is a different kind of film it is from and it goes back to the 30s ironically of all the films from the 40s and 50s my number one is from the 30s is from 1931 it stars one of my favorites Charlie Chaplin it is City Lights one of his most loved films. Oh, yeah, I had yeah. not seen this movie when we first did the the 1930s. Yeah. Just hadn't gotten around to it yet. And I watched it a couple months ago and it is just fantastic. And it's, it's such a great setup. He plays the, the little tramp and he meets this rich guy and he's trying to raise money to help this blind flower girl he's in love with. And the rich guy is drunk and every time he's drunk... He's throwing money around. He invites Charlie Chaplin out with him, takes him to all the nicest places. But then when he sobers up, he doesn't remember him. And he's like, and Charlie Chaplin keeps showing up and he's like, get this vagabond out of here. And his servant throws him out. And then he stumbles across him again when he's drunk and they keep getting into adventures. And then he keeps forgetting about him. And so it's just this great back and forth of Charlie Chaplin like, getting into trouble for being in kind of high society where he doesn't belong, you know, in these places, and then also getting in trouble when he goes back to the <laughs> guy and he doesn't remember him. And it's just, it's funny from start to finish. It has the most just sweet romantic ending. It's just a perfect film. It's perfect silent comedy. It'll have you laughing. It's a beautiful movie. I It would have totally been my number one for 1931 if I had seen it back then, but I hadn't. So I'm super excited to get it on a list and make it my number one for this for this year. So 1931 City Lights it's a masterpiece.
0: An excellent choice. Uh, It's two good film or two classic films for number one and two great lists in my opinion.
1: I think so I think there's a lot of really good films here.
0: Yeah so do yourself a favor if there's any of those films on the list you haven't seen go and Track them down if you can. Uh, Some of them may well be on some streaming services. You'd be surprised. Some some of the old films that are on there. Exactly. So have a look for them. Track them down. Watch them. Read about them. And see what journey it takes you on. Because some of the actors and directors involved have done many other brilliant films. And you'll have a wonderful journey of discovery. Exactly.
1: Couldn't have said it better myself, Phil. Nicely done.
0: You've been filled in a nice way. <laughs>
1: exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, that is going to wrap up our our special edition of Movies We Missed 100 Years of Hollywood. And that's also going to start to wrap up our episode. Phil, why don't you tell people what we have in store for them next week?
0: Yeah. So next time, we're going to be going after the ending of Striking Distance. That's the one with Bruce Willis on a boat. And also the brilliant The Truman Show starring Jim Carrey. That's a uh, after the endings, and we're we'll also be doing the top ten movies we missed will be from the 1960s.
1: Yep, just one decade next week, so <laughs> we wanted to kind of get yeah. through these early decades all should, at once. Should make it a bit easier for us to actually do that list. Right, <laughs> right, exactly. Okay, well that is going to wrap us up then, so as always, we thank you greatly for listening. I'm Mike Spring. And I'm Phil Edwards. And we'll see you next week. After the ending. Shall we uh, Shall we start with the uh, the Black... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Mike. Just that you transition, want... that transition from you got filled
0: to the black hole. I'm having a hard time. With. Yeah, Mike. Do you want to? Well, should we, do you? Mike, do you want to take us into the black hole? Yeah. <laughs> I'm having a hard time with that.
1: <laughs> no, I, I really don't, actually. <laughs> Mike. Um... <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the black hole, <laughs> 1979. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Here we go. Uh, hang on a second. I'm all Flemmy now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Flemmy, James Flemmy.
1: <laughs> I don't even know how that makes sense. Like, I know, but
0: it's, just, yeah. it's not James. like yeah. It's
1: not like Flemmy and Bond sounds. I know.
0: Well, Ian Fleming a little bit. Oh, okay. that would be where it came from. I bet you. Okay. The name's Flemmy. <laughs> James Flemmy. That's okay. Oh, yeah. My
1: autocorrect changed Las Vegas to Las Vapes. I was, oh, okay. like, I was like that just is a terrible name for a city for one it just gives me an image of all these people with these little metal cigarette thingies smoking yeah.
0: pineapple flavored hot air I wish I could blame my autocorrect but I, I handwrite mine so oh that's true <laughs> your okay, autocorrect, yeah. auto-correct yeah. sucks yeah. what idiot wrote this oh my god <laughs> I think I've been filled with this one <laughs> you got filled yeah. it just says you're a dick oh no <laughs> Oh hey, past me. Okay. <laughs> okay, one more time. Hold on a minute, hold on a minute, hold Uh-oh. on. Oh, drop the matches again. <laughs> you got filled.